Welcome to season two of Mining Memory. We're going to start this season off with a discussion of what's known about Alzheimer's disease as a cause of death. As you likely know, Alzheimer's disease is the most common cause of dementia. But first, a quick disclaimer. Today, we're going to be talking about research on dementia and mortality. Because research transcribes human experiences into cold numbers, it tends to objectify real human conditions such as death. This can come off as insensitive if it hits close to home. Therefore, if you or someone you care for is a person living with Alzheimer's disease, you may not want to listen to this episode. Okay, a little background information. Relatively recently, the way the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention classify cause of death was changed to incorporate contributing factors such as Alzheimer's disease. From 2000 to 2019, Alzheimer's has risen from the eighth to the sixth leading cause of death. And among just older adults, Alzheimer's is considered the fifth leading cause of death. The estimated total number of Americans who die each year from Alzheimer's varies widely from approximately 100 to 500,000, depending on the method used. Getting your arms around what's known about Alzheimer's disease and mortality is tricky because clearly dying from Alzheimer's versus dying with Alzheimer's are two different things. In this episode, we'll try to unpack some of this. I'm Matt Davis. And I'm Donovan Most. You're listening to Mining Memory, a podcast devoted to exploring research on Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias. Today, we're joined by Dr. Brian James. Dr. James is an associate professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at Rush Medical College and an epidemiologist at the Rush Alzheimer's Disease Center. His research focuses on identifying risk factors for Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and cognitive decline at the population level. Dr. James is also the host of the podcast, Epidemiology Counts. Each episode delves into a different disease or health condition and talks about what's known and unknown about it. He's here today, though, to talk with us about some of his own research on Alzheimer's disease and mortality. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. One of the best sources of information on the public health implications of Alzheimer's disease is the annual Alzheimer's Association report. It's a lengthy report, but with a lot of pictures that summarizes the epidemiology of Alzheimer's, costs of care, and overall impact on society at large. Now, the report doesn't list any authors as part of like the formal citation in PubMed, but you, if you look way in the back, you'll see a handful of individuals listed in the acknowledgement section, specifically in the 2021 Alzheimer's disease facts and figures report, you'll see an acknowledgement of Dr. James's contribution. In addition, Dr. James authored a highly cited paper titled Contribution of Alzheimer's Disease to Mortality in the United States that was published in the journal Neurology. The study used longitudinal data from a couple different cohorts to examine Alzheimer's disease and death. Using estimates from the cohorts, Brian and his colleagues were able to extrapolate the findings to the U.S. population. Thanks for that introduction. Um, I will say that the mortality section of the Alzheimer's Facts and Figures report that you mentioned has a lot of what we're going to be talking about today summarized very neatly. So just to start things off, in general, why do you think it's important to determine how many people die from a disease? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, a lot of, of how we determine the burden of diseases and, and, you know, which diseases deserve the most attention, the most funding, the most research priority, the most um, government attention um, 
has often has to do with how many people die from that disease, right? You know, if a disease is a major killer, that obviously is something that sparks our interest is something we want as a society want to do something about, right? So, you know, if you're going to be uh, making priority decisions on who gets funding or which diseases get funded based on things like how many people die from that disease, you want to be as accurate as possible. Um, and so as an Alzheimer's disease researcher myself, I think it's imperative that we have a, a, a good idea of the contribution of this disease to mortality in the United States. And mortality is not the only way that you could sort of measure burden, right? Absolutely not. Very important point to state up front. We're going to be talking about mortality today, but obviously living with the disease, um, you know, family members seeing their 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 loved ones suffer through the disease, the morbidity of the disease um, is just as important, if not more than the mortality. So this, this discussion's on mortality, but there's so much more to it um, when you talk about the burden of Alzheimer's. So as an epidemiologist, uh, how do you actually go about counting how many people die from a disease? Yeah. So the, the traditional way um, is through the surveillance of death certificate records um, in the United States. So uh, we literally every year count up what's written on people's death certificates and we get a number uh, for, for every type of cause of death and we rank them. And based on that, as uh, was said in the intro, Alzheimer's disease is, is the sixth leading cause of death, which I think in, um, I think 2019 is the most recent uh, year of data that I saw from the CDC, uh, contributed to about 120,000 deaths based on what's written on people's death certificates. So who, who uh, actually completes the death certificates and who collects them? Like, where do they go? Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's that's a good question that may be beyond. <laughs> so, well, I can tell you who fills them out. It's clinicians, um, you know, the people who are there uh, at the time of death. Um, you know, someone is tasked with the job of, of writing, you know, what is the, what is the uh, determining what the cause of death and writing that on the death certificate. Now, that, of course, um, means that to have Alzheimer's on that death certificate, that person who writes that death certificate needs to know the history of the person that, um, you know, has departed and has to know that they had an Alzheimer's diagnosis that's contributing to, um, to what happened. Right. Um, unfortunately, Alzheimer's disease is very, is underdiagnosed, you know, so a lot of people are living with this disease that don't even know they have it. They've never been diagnosed. So that's not going to make it on the death certificate. Even if they were diagnosed, the person who's filling it out may not be their, their primary care person. Um, and they may not know, right? So there's a lot of reasons why Alzheimer's may not actually show up on a death certificate, even if it did contribute to that person's death. I have a really simple question for all mm -hmm. the, you know, non-clinicians, non-epidemiologists out there. What's the difference between a death certificate and like a medical examiner's report? Yeah. See, again, I'm not a clinician, so you, um, you're going beyond, this is not my area of expertise, but as I understand, every person who dies in the United States, um, you know, uh, in, in a, in a situation where it's <laughs> recorded and, um, we'll have a death certificate, um, provided. And I think the medical examiner report, I think is only requested in certain circumstances, I don't know when those circumstances are, so that's not what I'm here on your podcast to say. But I will tell you that the surveillance we're talking about when you're looking at the official CDC numbers of deaths come from these official uh, U.S. death certificates. Maybe Donovan knows. Do you know the difference between uh... So I think examiner would be like if an autopsy is requested yes, an for autopsy. some reason, right. um, whereas a 
everybody has a death certificate yeah. and only certain people would would go on to have a report from a medical examiner yeah and 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 to you know not to go too deeply into this because we could really spend a lot of time on it but um you know, when I'm talking about someone dying from Alzheimer's disease, it's based on clinical symptoms, right? So, you know, almost no one who has Alzheimer's on their death certificate had an autopsy that, you know, actually went in and looked at their brain and determined, oh, they got the plaques and tangles of Alzheimer's. That's why I'm putting Alzheimer's on their death certificate, right? It's based on clinical symptoms. I, I was just looking and, and it was surprisingly a small percentage of people actually get autopsies that die of you know, diseases. Absolutely. It's surprisingly low. I didn't yes. realize how low it was. Yes, exactly. So, so that's an important point. This is not autopsy based definition of Alzheimer's uh, of death from Alzheimer's. So using something like death certificates and thinking about Alzheimer's disease. So what are like the problems with using that approach? Yeah, there's, there's been, it's pretty well documented that um, death certificates undercount diseases like Alzheimer's disease. Maybe Alzheimer's disease might be one of the most infamous one in terms of undercounting. And that's because, I mean, I've already mentioned some of the reasons. There's a lot of people living in the United States that have never actually received uh, a dementia diagnosis or an Alzheimer's diagnosis. Um, it's an insidious disease that that starts, you know, the process, the dementing process can start years to decades before you actually die. So there's a long uh, period of time between, say, your initial diagnosis, if you look, if you get one, and when you actually die, right? And there's a lot of changes to your health status that happen in the meantime, um, as you're suffering through the, the moderate to severe stages of Alzheimer's disease um, that contribute to your death as well. So there's a whole chain of causation for most people who die of Alzheimer's disease and some of those more proximal causes of death. So for example, you know, if the, if the disease spreads to the parts of your brain that control your swallowing, that control your breathing, um, and then you aspirate um, or you have respiratory disease, you catch pneumonia, that's how many, many people with Alzheimer's disease pass away. And some of those more proximal causes may be what's actually written on the death certificate and Alzheimer's may be left off. So because of that, we, you know, it's pretty clear, you know, like I said, there's been a, there's been quite a number of studies showing that it, that um, Alzheimer's is undercounted as a cause of death. But on top of it, if you just take a step back and look at the numbers of how many people are living with Alzheimer's in the U.S., uh, we estimated in the last facts and figures report about six point. I think in the, in the new one that's about to come out for 2022, that about 6.5 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's disease. And then you see about 100,000 per year are dying according to death certificates. Now, we know this is a 100% fatal disease. As of now, no one's ever gotten Alzheimer's disease and then cured it and lived through it, right? So at some point, um, unfortunately, based on current uh, prevention and treatment, um, it is a 100% fatal disease. So how kind of common sense wise, how could only 100,000 people be passing away a year um, from Alzheimer's when over 6 million people are living with it? Jeez, it sounds complicated. I mean, just thinking through, you know, what it might look like for someone who passes away who has Alzheimer's disease. I mean, I, I think there's like this desire that you sort of want like some mutually exclusive cause of death. And it's just not that simple in reality when you have these multiple comorbidities and other things that all kind of Absolutely. That's the problem. The de death certificates try to put every death into a neat box. You know, they try to say, this is the reason you died. But as we know, as for those of us who study chronic diseases, not just Alzheimer's, heart disease, you know, a whole, you know, the 
the majority of Americans die of chronic disease these days until COVID came along, that is, but you know, <laughs> let's, let's table COVID for the, for the moment. Um, chronic disease kills a lot of older Americans, right? And um, there's usually a chain of causation. There's a number of, uh, most people die with multiple comorbidities in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, right? And so which one of those comorbidities are you going to say is the cause of death? You know, it's, it's difficult. It's probably all of them contributed in some ways. So just trying to put everything into a box may give short shrift to some of these diseases that are further, more distal from that um, actual day that people pass away. I think one point is that um, death certificate data is in some ways another source of administrative data, you know, that's subject to all of the issues that you can get in administrative data. And so just, you know, the way that dementia is left out of a lot of uh, Medicare encounters, even though people really do have dementia, just the same way it's left off of, of the death certificates. So it's definitely not like a, a perfect data source. That's a good point. And there's, there's actually been evidence that over the last 10 to 20 years, um, so, you know, we see that more and more death certificates every year are listing Alzheimer's disease as a cause of death, whether that's due to just more and more people dying of it or rather uh, the medical establishment recognizing it as a cause of death for more and more people, a contributing factor. Um, I, I think there's evidence of both of those things happening. And so it is being recognized more and more as a cause of death. So, you know, if you if you look at trends based just on death certificates, you've got the problem exactly that you say of these secular trends in um, administrative data collection. And, you know, when when a disease crosses a threshold to actually make it onto a death certificate. So perhaps a question for both Brian and Donovan as, as a physician and for our listeners, just to just to ask it directly, can you know, from a biological perspective, can Alzheimer's disease cause death? Yeah, I mean, I so I think that um, in the sense of like, does Alzheimer's disease, you know, a attack your heart and make it stop beating? No, it doesn't cause death like that. But I think Brian's example was probably uh, one of the best ones where it can cause uh, difficulty with something like swallowing. And so if you're not able to swallow to sort of sequence the complex events that, you know, take food from your mouth down to your stomach, you can aspirate or get food into your lungs that leads to developing a pneumonia. And so that's probably one of the most kind of common ways that you see Alzheimer's as a contributing factor where maybe on the death certificate, it says the person died of pneumonia, but very clearly the Alzheimer's dementia and the changes in the brain were a very like important fundamental contributing cause. So in in that way, that's how I think of Alzheimer's as a as a cause of death. Right, it sets you up to die of one of these more proximal causes. Yeah, and and pneumonia, which you just mentioned, is the most commonly identified immediate cause of death on death certificates of people who die with Alzheimer's. When you count deaths, you know, and try to attribute them to Alzheimer's. Do people go far enough to actually get into the specific mechanisms like eating difficulties or pneumonia? Or is it like if Alzheimer's is there, it's it counts? Yeah. So the way the death certificate looks is they have um, four lines. You know, you have the immediate cause that'll be aspiration, pneumonia, whatever. And then there's like a couple you know, a couple more lines. And then there's the underlying cause, which is the last line. And if you put Alzheimer's there, they're going to count it as the underlying cause of, of that person's death. And it's going to go in the Alzheimer's box. 
And I, and I also want to say, and I have to say this every time I talk about this, that I don't want it to come across as if I am, um, uh, you know, judging how death certificates are filled out or, you know, one of the, the morals, I did a little bit of press on the, the paper that, well, I did a lot of press actually. <laughs> um, it got a lot of attention on the paper that we're about to talk about. Um, but I did what, you know, people wanted me to say, are you saying that people need to learn how to fill out death certificates better? And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not the moral of the story here. I think people are doing as well as they possibly can with the information presented to them. Right. What I'm saying is that counting the number of people who die from this disease based only on what's on their death certificate is going to underrepresent the actual burden of mortality, right? So, you know, it's a, it's a piece of information. It's probably the, say like the, the, the floor, it's probably the floor in terms of how many people die from Alzheimer's or, or somewhere, you know, maybe not the exact floor, but somewhere, somewhere closer to the floor. And then there's other techniques that we can talk about that may um, better represent uh, you know, how many people are actually having a death that where Alzheimer's has something to do with it. I mean, I, I, so I'll say as a physician, I definitely could have been prepared a little bit better for how to fill these things out. But I think even in a perfect world, so just like looking at it under the cause of death section, it says enter the chain of events, diseases, injuries, or complications that directly cause the death. So even if you do that perfectly, though, you could have some variability and like, you know, person A says, okay, these two things were in the chain and person B says, no, no, I think these five or six things were in the chain. So even if people are filling it out perfectly, there's still some, there's going to be variation about, you know, what, what gets included or doesn't get included. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is the nature of the game. You know, that's, it's, it's very difficult for the reasons that I've talked about to, uh, you know, try to list every single cause of death. Like, you know, even it's, it's, there's a whole chain of causation that happens that eventually, uh, leads someone to crossing that threshold. Right. Um, but you know, if, if the person wasn't lying in that hospital bed or in that nursing home with dementia, would they have been in this, in the, uh, you know, with, without the ability to feed themselves or, um, care for themselves? Would they have swallowed, uh, you know, uh, whatever? Would they have aspirated and, and led to their passing that day? I would argue no. I mean, it's, it's you know, to make an analogy, we're seeing the same thing happen in this COVID pandemic. with, And that's a much more proximal cause of death, right? But, you know, they, you had a lot of COVID deniers who were saying, if you look at the CDC table of, of morbidities, comorbidities that people had who died of Alzheimer's disease, they're like, oh, look at this, only 3% of people died without any comorbidity. So therefore, COVID actually only killed 3% of these deaths that we're saying are COVID deaths. That's absolutely wrong, right? It, all What we know is that people with other comorbidities are more vulnerable if they catch COVID to passing away from it, you know? And that's the case with almost every disease, right? And also we know that, um, you know, older people were more likely, at least in the beginning of the pandemic, to be catching the disease. And older people in this country are highly likely to have, uh, you know, one, two or three comorbidities that they're living with. So you've alluded to uh, using a different approach in your study. Yes. Are we ready to segue into that? I'm ready if you are. Yeah, let's hear about <laughs> it. What, how did you do it? Yeah, do? so I will say this study is going on eight years old now, but we're, we're trying to update it. Um, so, you know, look out for that in the next year or two. Um, but what we did was we said, you know, let's get away from what's written on death certificates, right? We're not going to even bring that information into this. We're going to say, instead of looking backwards from the time of death, 
uh, we're actually going to look forward. So we took advantage of at Rush, we have a number of prospective cohort studies. Um, those of you who are epidemiologists out there know exactly what I'm talking about. And um, the people in our studies are recruited without any known dementia, right? So these are people in their uh, 70s, eight, six, well, as, as I'll talk about, we don't have that many people in our 60s, but um, 70s, 80s, and 90s who are recruited into our study without any known dementia. We follow them over time and we do an annual asse- cognitive assessment on people. And we actually determine every year whether we think they have normal cognition or they have MCI, mild cognitive impairment, or they have dementia, right? And, and then we say dementia of the Alzheimer's type. Um, or, or another type of dementia. Um, but I will say that most of the people in our study, based on our definition, um, it's not an exclusionary definition. So if we think Alzheimer's contributed, we're going to give you that label of Alzheimer's dementia, right? So, uh, so we see how many people develop Alzheimer's disease over time. And then we see how many people pass away. And you can actually calculate the hazard ratio uh, of dying from incident Alzheimer's disease. Okay, and it's really important to do it that way with incident Alzheimer's, incident Alzheimer's disease because if you only use prevalent Alzheimer's disease, like if you did a study where you said, "All right, here's a bunch of people who already have Alzheimer's," um, you're 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 not going to have in that study design people who died. Um, rapidly after developing Alzheimer's. So if Alzheimer's was leading to people dying within a year or two, um, they may not be in your study, right? So to really get the accurate picture, uh, what we did in our, what the, the beauty of our study design is that we, um, we had incident dementia and we followed people annually so that you could see um, within a year whether they developed Alzheimer's disease or not, right? That's important because if you have a study design with four or five years, in between those cognitive assessments, someone may have developed Alzheimer's and passed away before you even got to, to, you know, measure them or count them. You, you mentioned how like a, a lot of people go on, they don't even know they have it, but your study obviously measured our, it. In our study, it doesn't yeah. matter if you if your doctor ever told you or not, it doesn't matter, right? Because we are going to find out if you have it or not, right? So you get a 100% observation um, of all, both Alzheimer's disease and, um, mortality because these are autopsy studies. So um, everyone who dies in the two studies that we use is the Rush Memory and Aging Project and the Religious Order Study. Um, Everyone who's enrolled into those studies agrees to donate their brains and other uh, tissues to um, science at the time of death. So they agree to to have someone in their family or religious convent or wherever they are are, um, alert us immediately within a day of their passing. So, and of course we miss a few, but then we also have the national death index where we check on people quarterly. So I I would say we had pretty, we have pretty close to 100% ascertainment of mortality in our studies. And so what, uh, how did your findings compare to what might be suggested if you were looking at death certificates? Right, right. So, so I haven't gotten to one important point of what do I, what do we do then with, with these hazard ratios of mortality? So I didn't mention that we do, what we did was we conducted a uh, population attributable fraction. Okay. So we said of all of the mortality that we see, all of the deaths we see, what portion of them, what, what fraction would we say are attributable to having developed Alzheimer's disease? Okay. So you get that population attributable fraction for the age groups 
that we had. And for our um, study, it was 75 to 84 and 85 and older. We didn't have enough people dying in the uh, below 75 age group to feel comfortable calculating uh, you know, um, the, the, the attributable fraction in that group. So everything I'm saying, uh, only applies to age 75 and older. So just keep that in mind. Um, and then what we did is we took to get an actual number, we took that attributable fraction percentage and we upweighted it to the general population. We said, you know, how many people died in these age groups in the United States in the year that we were doing it, which was again, eight years ago, I think it was 2010 um, census data. And we, and we applied those fractions to get a number of deaths that we think Alzheimer's disease contributed to. So the punchline is we got a number about approximately 500,000 deaths. So again, keep in mind around that time, at the time that we, so I said 120,000 deaths are written on death certificates. That's in 2019. Uh, At the time that we wrote this study, again, it was 2010, data. And in 2010, it was only like 85,000 deaths on people's death certificates um, that said Alzheimer's disease. So this is quite a difference, 500,000 deaths compared to you know, 85,000 deaths. I mean, you said you're updating it. Like, I mean, the risk of death is probably, I assume it's not going to change, but the population characteristics are going to change that might change the total number populate of, we have yeah. right we have updated census data that we can upweight to we're hoping to bring in um we did almost nothing with race and ethnicity on you know the the original uh we literally just looked at age and and adjusted for gender and and, and some other risk factors but we didn't really bring in uh race ethnicity which we're hoping to bring that in uh, we're, tr- we're hoping to look at differentials by gender um as we go forward and we're hoping to have enough people in that younger age group to hopefully get a number calculated for that 65 to 74 group you're gonna have to come back on and talk about race and ethnicity i would love to i would love to i want to say though that um that number okay well we can talk a lot about this right (laughs) but but i just want to make sure we're comparing apples to apples right so i'm not saying that we believe 500,000 deaths um, should have Alzheimer's disease written on their death certificates. Okay. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not necessarily saying that I'm saying that we think a lot more uh, deaths had Alzheimer's disease contributing to it than what makes it onto people's death certificates. A lot more. Right. And just to be clear, um, you are specifically talking about Alzheimer's dementia? Yeah, good question. So we did it again with just any all-cause dementia, and we got almost, we got very similar numbers. Again, the vast majority of people that we say have dementia in our studies um, are people that we say have Alzheimer's dementia. We do it a little bit differently than some, there's some debate about this, but, um, you know, we don't do an exclusionary dementia. So, you know, you don't have to either have Alzheimer's or have vascular you can have both because <laughs> this is beyond the scope of this podcast. But one of the things that our center is um, has contributed to the literature quite a bit on is that when you actually look into people's brains, when you do these autopsies, people don't just have one contributing disease. They got Alzheimer's, they got mini strokes, they got vascular disease, they got Lewy bodies. So there's all sorts of combinations of things that contribute to their dementia. So trying to put, again, very analogous to what we're talking about, trying to put things in a neat little box don't really doesn't really match up to maybe reality with dementia. And actually, if you go to this study that we're talking about, 
in the discussion, I had I got to put on my um, philosophy hat a little bit and make this analogous argument here. You know, like we in the field of dementia have um, accepted this uh, this idea of mixed dementia, right? That it's not just Alzheimer's or just vascular disease. You know, it's it's a combination of things that can lead to dementia. So there's this concept of mixed dementia, and so I'm arguing for the concept of mixed mortality. Right. So, yeah, it's not I mean, don't get me wrong. We need death certificates. We need accounts. We need to put things in a bucket so that at a very basic um, population surveillance level, we have an idea of the diseases that are killing the most people and when they go up and when they go down. Right. But if you really want to look at the burden of disease, you have to be realistic about how people die and you have to embrace the fact that. Uh, this concept of mixed mortality is going on. Like most people who die probably have five or six things contributing to them. All of those things added some element of their risk of, of dying. Right. And something put them over the edge. Right. But all those, other, if those other things weren't, weren't present, they probably wouldn't have died on that given day. You know, it makes a lot of sense to look at like Alzheimer's as, as a contributor. It makes so much sense now that to hear you talk about this. And I must say that you must have made so many researchers so happy. They must all cite your paper in like the first part of their grant applications. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, well, I, please, please do everyone. Well, it is a very highly cited paper and I, I think it does make it into a lot of intros. And to, for that, I am, uh, you know, very thankful. And I, and I hope that I can keep contributing with this, this follow-up paper. I would love to, you know, I, I do, I just do want to make the point though, that I think, um, you know, again, going to this apples to apples rather than apples to orange comparison. I think that one thing that I don't like that's come from this is, and and I'm kind of guilty of it because I went back and read my conclusion and I'm like, yeah, I kind of say this here, but, but the problem is you can't compare that 500,000 directly to the number of people who die of other diseases like cancer or heart disease based on what's on their death certificates. Because if you did the attributable fraction thing that we did, for something like heart disease, you're probably going to get more than what's on their death certificates too, right? You're going to get a, a larger number. And the thing, you know, one of the things that that our study has been criticized about, although I don't know if it's a valid criticism we can debate, um, is that the attributable risk fraction uh, method, if you add them all up for different diseases, it, it sums to more than 100%. Right. So you're like, oh, well, how can you, you know, how can you compare these things? And but but my point is, if if you're under the context of mixed mortality and you're like, yeah, it should be more than 100 percent because not only this disease was contributing, but also this disease was contributing. So they overlap. Right. So you can't make them sum to 100 percent because that means you have to put everything into one bucket. It's that non-mutually exclusive. <laughs> they are non-mutually thing. exclusive. Exactly. Did, yes. did you consider it all like kicking out deaths that were like extraneous stuff like MI and other things to try to clean it up at all? Um, you know, that's an interesting point that people have asked us about. We, again, we were complete, we don't have access to people's death certificates. I should mm-hmm. tell you that upfront. <laughs> so, so yeah. we don't actually have at the time of writing that, you know, now we could do something maybe a little bit different because we have Medicare records that are linked. Um, but at the time we didn't have any information on why someone said that this person died, right? So I couldn't actually do that. Like now that we have people's Medicare records, we can totally do that and we can maybe try to clean it up a little. Um, but again, you know, the question there though is what do you throw out, right? Because right. if someone had an MI, but they've been <laughs> they've been in a hospital bed suffering from from Alzheimer's for two years, like did that Alzheimer's not contribute to them developing it's a slippery slope. the MI? It's a slippery slope, exactly. Outside of... 
academic citations. Where have you seen the the impact of this of this work? Oh, thank you for asking that. That's a great question. One of the coolest experiences of my career is that I got to actually go lobby Congress um, based on the uh, the data that we that we wrote up in this paper and um, had an amazing experience. Nancy Pelosi was literally standing right in front of me. <laughs> like she introduced this group of scientists is wow. going to tell us why we wow. should care about Alzheimer's. And I got to go, um, you know, I live in Illinois. So I got to uh, talk to Dick Durbin's people and present, you know, the case that more people die from Alzheimer's disease than, you know, maybe the numbers show. And I have, I am not in any way claiming that I, you know, that my lobbying contributed to this, but I will say that, um, you know, within a year or two, the national Alzheimer's plan was actually passed. So, you know, you know, what I was saying and what a number of different researchers and lobbyists were saying, uh, I don't know if I should say lobbyists, is that like a bad word these days? (laughs) Advocacy organizations. Um, they really, I think got through to Congress and said, this is a much bigger, disease then we're giving a shrift to, not just based on how many people die from it, but from all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And if you looked at the funding that was that Alzheimer's was getting at the time, it was it was minuscule uh, compared to a lot of other diseases that um, that had comparable numbers, right? So I think now um, with this huge, amazing, you know, I'm so thankful for it, um, surge in funding for Alzheimer's research and care uh, that Congress has, has approved, um, it's becoming more uh, proportionate to the actual burden in the United States. What a, what a great story. You know, you know, those of us that do research, we're just in this like kind of churn of like turning out papers that every once in a while you're reminded that you have a paper like this that actually is supposed to do something, you know, it's supposed to like make something better and call attention to a problem. So that was- it was a very rewarding experience that I'm so thankful for. Yeah. So, um, this is, this has been great and gives us a lot to think about and I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it. Um, but Last but importantly, could you tell us a little bit more about your podcast? Oh, yeah. So uh, Epidemiology Counts is one of the two official podcasts of the Society for Epidemiologic Research. Um, you can find it anywhere you get podcasts. Um, I listen to mine on Spotify, but you know wherever you do. Um, and please subscribe. Uh, I have so much fun doing it. My co-host, uh, Ghassan Hamra, and I, um, we interview experts in all sorts of different, we've actually never done a dementia one because it's too near and dear to my heart. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. Uh, but we do, we tackle a, a health topic in every single episode. And the idea of it is that we wanted to um, discuss health, do a deep dive into, you know, a health research topic for the general public, because it is geared towards the general public and not have to go through the lens of media, right? So, Right now, you know, how do you how do you get out of the how do you get your information out of the ivory tower into the hands of the people that actually need that health information? We're kind of dependent on the media writing up stories or doing an interview with us, which is great. We love that, right? But we also know the problems with that. You've got you've got an editor who gives it a headline and on sometimes those headlines don't match up with what you actually want to say and they're a little clickbaity or sensationalist, right? And so we wanted the opportunity for people to talk about their research and and everything about a topic um, directly to people in a way that they can digest. You know, we've done a whole bunch. We've done like seven COVID ones. Our first COVID one was when there were 11 cases in the U.S. So <laughs> it's been um, tremendous, to, crazy to see every time we record one, like how much things have changed. Uh, you know, everything from COVID to residential segregation and how that affects health. 
um, to screen time, to depression, um, you know, name it. We're trying to cover every single health topic you can think of. And, and we love the title of your podcast too. It's hard to come up with a good title. And oh, uh, I appreciate that. Epidemiologists, they really do work hard for those numerator counts. I, I'm glad you like that. Now we had a meeting with, oh my gosh, now I'm going to forget her name. We, I, I had the opportunity to meet with um, the host of Invisibilia. God, how am I forgetting her name? On NPR. And uh, we were like, yeah, I'll give us some tips on, on how to do this podcast thing. This was a couple of years ago. And she was like, well, the first thing you need to do if you want to expand your captures, get rid of that name. It's terrible. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and we were like, well, we're kind of need epidemiology in the title. That's like, you know, one of the main things we're trying to do here. And she's like, no, you need something catchy. Like, you know, where there's a podcast like um, this podcast will kill you. Have you all heard of that one? It's basically an epidemiology podcast. And she's like, now that's a catchy title. <laughs> so sure, sure. But we're kind of, we want, we want epidemiology in the world. <laughs> this has been great. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Other episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud as well as directly from us at capra.med.umich.edu, where a full transcript of this episode is also available. On our website, you'll also find links to our seminar series and data products we've created for dementia research. Music and engineering for this podcast was provided by Dan Langa. More information available at www.danlanga.com. Minding Memory is part of the Michigan Medicine Podcast Network. Find more shows at uofmhealth.org slash podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from the National Institute on Aging at the National Institutes of Health, as well as the Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation at the University of Michigan. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the NIH or the University of Michigan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back soon. Thank you.